ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the New Testament Gospel of John. And we're going to be in John chapter 18 as we begin a two-week sermon series that is focused on the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at Easter. When I was growing up, my family had an enjoyment and a love of the great outdoors. We had favorite places that we would go. You might find us at the lake one weekend, or you might find us in the mountains one weekend at a, at a special campground. And, and there are different places in my mind throughout the state of California that I can remember that we went on on vacation. And I can remember there were certain campgrounds that we loved to go to. And maybe we would call ahead. This is before you can go online. But you might call ahead and, and, and plan a reservation for that camp spot that was your favorite before you went on vacation. I know that our favorite camp spot was the one that was close to the lake. It was close to the showers. And, and it was big enough for all of the kids to be able to run around and play. And, and all of the, the parents could could really keep an eye on everyone really well. I wonder if you have a favorite vacation place that you go. I wonder if in your favorite city that there's a favorite hotel that you would go to when you're there. Like, I love going to this place. You know that Jesus had a special camp spot too. Every time that Jesus went to Jerusalem, he had a place that he would camp, that he would go to. Most of the time when Jesus went to Jerusalem, the city was actually jam-packed. There was a lot of people there, especially if he went to Jerusalem during one of the festivals. There were numerous festivals in Jerusalem during the year. But Passover is one that the town would just explode. There would be so many people there for Passover. If you were going to travel to Jerusalem for Passover, you'd probably want to leave wherever you are a little bit early. In our day and age, there's people who will go to, they'll, they'll travel early to get to New York City or to Las Vegas for New Year's Eve, right? You'd leave a little bit early to get there. The town is going to be busy. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to be in town. Same thing for New York City, for Las Vegas, same thing for Jerusalem around the Passover. If you are planning on being there for Passover, chances are you're probably going to need to go to like Trivago or Priceline and book your hotel a few days in advance before you get there. It's going to be somewhat difficult to show up last minute and get a place to stay, especially if you're trying to find a place to stay for 13 guys. It's a little bit more difficult. See, everywhere Jesus went in his three years of ministry, he has uh, 12 guys that are following him around. So it's not just getting a place to stay for one guy. It's Jesus and his 12 disciples. And what, here's something else that's going to make it a little bit more difficult. Jesus at this time is somewhat famous. Probably sound a little bit strange for Jesus and his disciples, a famous guy to roll in and to try and get one room and everyone can sleep on the floor at the Motel 6, right? I mean, there's a lot of people who know who he is. Everywhere Jesus goes, 
People want to see him perform a, a miracle. They, they want to see a spiritual magic trick of sorts. And now you're traveling with 12 other guys and you're going into a city that is overcrowded for the Passover of Jerusalem. And you've got people who are there for the religious event the city, there's almost a million people in Jerusalem. It's ten times its normal size because there's so many people there. And you're somewhat famous. Well, what do you do? Where do you go? It's a good thing that Jesus has friends. About two miles outside of the city of Jerusalem is a little village called Bethany. That's where Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, Lazarus lives. And undoubtedly, when Jesus would come to town, he would stay with them on some occasions. But Bethany, just two miles outside of Jerusalem, is a little bit outside of the city limits during Passover. You have to stay within a certain boundary and Bethany is just outside, so Jesus can't stay there during Passover. Fortunately, Jesus has got a guy. We've all got a guy, right? Like, oh, this is my buddy that I can call. Jesus has got a buddy that he can call. This particular Passover, it's not the first time that Jesus has camped out at his buddy's place. I can imagine the first time that Jesus and the disciples traveled to Jerusalem, maybe Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, look, we've got 13 guys, and I don't know where we're going to stay. What if Jesus just turned to him and said, hey, Peter, don't worry about it. I got a guy. I know a guy, right? I know a place where we could stay. Right outside the city of Jerusalem, there's this valley, small valley. Water would run through it during storms. It was dry when there weren't storms. And when I say right outside the city, we're talking like right outside the walls. It's called the Kindred Valley. And on the other side of this small valley, there's a hill that starts sloping back up again. On this property, as you're sloping up this hill, there were gardens. People who lived inside the city of Jerusalem would have property and space on that hill. Many, many scholars believe that these gardens would be fenced in, sometimes maybe with a rock wall that would protect that landowner's property. The landowner of this particular garden, he, he grew olives. That's what he grew in his territory. Many people on this mountain did. In the Bible, we refer to this as the Mount of Olives. You might have heard it called Gethsemane. That, it, it means olive press. So inside this walled orchard of olive trees, that's where our story is going to take place this morning. The guy who owns this property had let Jesus and the disciples camp out under his trees before, camping out for protection under these olive trees and the olive grove whenever Jesus needed a place to stay near Jerusalem. The 13 of them had been to this orchard before. It was like their favorite campground. It was also a spot that was very secluded. It's not at one of the hotels downtown. 
It's outside. It's in a walled orchard area. And when we're talking orchard, there's trees. And you, you could get inside that orchard and not be seen, right? You can kind of hide out there. Jesus needed a place to stay when he comes to Jerusalem. Let's face it, if you have somewhat of a celebrity status, you might want to stay somewhat private when you come to town. Stay somewhere private, where not everyone knows your hotel number, right? Especially when you come to town and the religious leaders hate you. And now there's rumors going around that you just raised a man from the dead uh, a few days ago, and you were inside the temple a few days ago kicking over tables, and you were running people out, and you were claiming that this was your father's house. Yeah, it's understandable that Jesus, when he comes to Jerusalem for Passover, and there's all, about a million people that could be in, in town, that you would want a place to stay that nobody else knew about. You would want it only to be a few people that know where you are staying. We're going to pick up our story in the Gospel of John. And we're late on Thursday night, the last week of Jesus' life. It's dark. When there is no one talking around the campfire, you could just hear nature. You look up at the stars through those olive trees, and, and it's beautiful. It's peaceful. There's always a full moon around Passover, so it's bright out. All this week, since Jesus has come to town to celebrate Passover, him and his disciples have been in the town of Jerusalem during the day. Luke tells us in chapter 21 that when the sun went down, Jesus and the disciples would head out to the Mount of Olives, that orchard where they would camp the night under the quiet of the stars. The town of Jerusalem would be pretty quiet at night anyways. The temple was in Jerusalem, and the, the temple police... They would make their rounds protecting the facility during Passover. And then you've got Roman guards in Jerusalem who would keep an eye on the people who would watch for riots and they would, they would just keep the peace, but they would keep the peace from towers. And you would need so many extra Roman guards that, that the Romans would bring in guards from Caesarea. It's, it's a city that's over on the coast. They would bring in more guards for Passover And there were Jews who would lay down palm branches in front of him, and they would crow out, cry out, Hosanna, as he rode into town on, this, on the donkey. And the religious leaders in town, they did not like this. As a matter of fact, they really wanted to get rid of Jesus. But he was so popular, and there were so many people around that, they just, they knew if they were going to try and silence Jesus that there would be such an uproar. Our Lord and his disciples had been in town all week. And on Thursday night, 
Jesus takes the 12 disciples into an upper room and they're going to take part in what we refer to as the Last Supper. After dinner, after the Last Supper, Jesus, he takes a time of prayer. And as soon as he's done praying, they're going to start heading back to camp. We pick up the action in John chapter 18. We're in verse number 1. John writes this. He says, When he had finished praying, Jesus left the disciples, and he crossed the kindred valley. On the other side there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Okay? So we're caught up in our story. All 12 disciples were there with Jesus at the beginning of dinner at the last at the Last Supper, but not all of them were around at the end of dinner. One guy had already left. Maybe the other 11 were, were left to clean up afterwards, and, and they, were, they walked outside while Jesus prayed. Now, this is in the city of Jerusalem. They had the Last Supper, and then they were going to hike together back to the campsite. You would think that if you were going to walk and you were going to hike back to the campsite outside the city walls, through a little ravine, and then up into the hills, and we're talking, you know, there's orchards, we're talking uh, mountains, and, and, the, and the, there's rocks that you're going to have to hike around to that secret Jesus campsite. You would think that you would all want to go together, right? Maybe you've been at the fair before. Maybe you and your family went to Disneyland. You went somewhere, and you had a big group of people, and, and you split up. Some people want to go this way, some people want to go this way, and you say, okay, well, let's meet back here at this time. And you know everyone, you know you're okay because people know where the car was parked, right? You say, okay, let's just meet at the car in a couple of hours. They must not have been that worried the fact that Judas wasn't with them after dinner when they went back to the campsite because, see, Judas had been there before. He knows where he's going. He knows where Jesus is going. You'd feel comfortable, especially if you were camping in a very hidden, secluded spot on the mountainside. And the only way that you're going to know how to get to that camp spot is if you've been there before. See, the 12 guys had all been there with Jesus before. Maybe you came with Jesus last time he was in Jerusalem. You, you've been with him for three years, the disciples had, and he'd come to Jerusalem for Passover. He'd come to Jerusalem for other things. He'd stayed in this garden before. You knew where he was. You knew where he was hiding out. We are told that it was at that dinner on Thursday night that Satan entered Judas, and we read this. This is Thursday night. So midway through the Last Supper, Judas gets up and he leaves the room. It's kind of strange for the other guys. I don't know, maybe Judas needed to make a phone call or he just wasn't feeling well or something, and he gets up and, and he leaves. But let's find out where he went. We're in Luke chapter 22. We're in verse number 3. It says, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went... And he went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard, and he discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. 
and they were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. See, everybody has a price. There are so many reasons that, that why Judas may have done this. I want you to notice that Judas went to the chief priests and he went to the temple guards. They're all Jews. They all are, are frustrated that here comes this religious threat to their power structure. These are the highest religious authorities in Jewish culture in Jerusalem and the religious police force, the temple guards. Judas didn't go to the Romans. He didn't go to Roman guards. The Romans, honestly, they didn't really care. They didn't really care what Jesus was doing unless it created a public uproar. It was the Jewish religious leaders who wanted to snuff out what Jesus was saying. See, if the high priests and the Pharisees wanted to silence Jesus, there's something that they needed. They needed an insider. Satan got inside Judas, and Judas fell to temptation, and he sold Jesus out. Let's pick up the action. We're in John chapter 18, verse number 2. It says this, Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So it's dark outside, and Jesus and the 11 disciples have made it back to the campground inside this walled orchard, and maybe they could hear people outside. The Bible says that, that Judas was guiding in a detachment of soldiers. It would be referred to as a cohort of soldiers. Typically, a Roman group of soldiers is about 600 men. Could be as low as 200, but it could be as high as a thousand men and then you add in that you have you have the high priests and you have the temple guard and you've got pharisees jesus and the disciples camping out under an orchard are certainly outnumbered john chapter 18 verse number four though it tells us a very it gives us a very important look at the mindset of jesus john says this jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him went out and asked them who is it that you want it's one of the most important parts of this entire scripture is that jesus knew what was going to happen not only that he did he know that the soldiers are coming but he knew what was going to happen that night. He even knew what was going to happen tomorrow. But knowing all of that, he still went out. When the Bible says it went, that he went out, it's referring to he went out of the garden to meet the men who were coming. This is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you taking notes, watch this. Jesus does not run from difficult situations. 
We know that Jesus could have called 10,000 angels right then and right there to take him out of the most difficult situation that he faced. As a matter of fact, if you knew in advance that your campsite wasn't safe, and you knew that there were 600 soldiers on their way to your campsite, I don't know, if it was me, I would try and run out the back of the campsite. We're out in the woods. We're out on a hill. I would be running for the rocks, trying to hide behind something, taking me and my family and, and heading into the mountains. But see, even knowing what was going to happen, Jesus did not run to save his life, but rather he walked out of the garden to face the soldiers simply to save yours. Jesus asked them, he says, who is it that you seek? Who do you want? Who is it that you're looking for? I have a feeling it was kind of a rhetorical question. <laughs> Jesus actually knew the answer. Chances are the Roman guards weren't there looking at the campsite. They, they weren't coming to hunt down Bartholomew. They weren't coming to look for Thomas. No, they were there for Jesus, and everybody knew that. So why did Jesus even ask? Well, because he needs to hear them read the arrest warrant. He needs to hear them. Who are you here for? Come back to me. Come back with me into John chapter 18. We're in verse number 4. Then Jesus, knowing all things that were going to happen, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he. Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with him when Jesus said, I am he. Watch, they drew back and they fell to the ground. He asked them again, who do you want? Who is it that you're after? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. There are two very important facts that we find in this scripture. In the original language, when Jesus replies saying, I am, he is replying with God the Father's actual name, Ego Emi. It was, it was a name that God the Father gave Moses back on Mount Sinai. It was something that was very, very reserved. And verse number six says that once Jesus says, I am, all of the men, they, they, they fell to the ground. We're not simply talking about the Jews. We're talking about the Romans as well. This is the power of God's name being spoken out loud by God himself in the flesh. That's powerful. He gives them a minute to get their heads back on straight and stand back up and they stagger and he asks them again, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. Again, he says, I am. And then he said something so important. We can see this situation from an action movie. 
Every time I read this verse, I think back to, to that scenario in an action movie when an entire family has been taken captive and, and they're being held in the, in the basement of the house because the, the dad of the house, he works at some computer lab that created uh, this super cool computer program. They created Skynet, right? And, and so these guys are coming to, to capture the family. They've got them all in a room. And you know what dad says? He says this. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one you want. Let my family go, right? I'm willing to go with you, but let my family go. Here's the second point in your notes this morning. Jesus willingly surrendered his life in order to save yours. But there's a difference between this situation that Jesus is in and any movie. The difference is that we are the ones who deserve the punishment. But Jesus tells death. He tells spiritual death. Jesus says, I'm the one you want. Leave my family alone. The only way that Jesus can replace you and I and our punishment that we deserve is if he is God. That term, I am, that's not new to Jesus. He actually, he uttered those words many times in his ministry. John chapter 8, verse number 58, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Am. John 6, 35, Jesus replay, replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John 18, 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more, and he said, I am the light of the world. John 10, 7, so he explained to them, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That night, under the full moon, with hundreds of soldiers outside of the campsite, Jesus could have ran. He could have defended himself in so many different ways, but he didn't. There's a good chance that if you were captured with your family, somebody in your family wants to go down swinging, right? Somebody... If it's not you, you know who in your family wants to go down swinging, who's going to stand up to your captors. In this situation, that was Peter. Here's what John says in chapter 18, verse number 10. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink? The cup the Father has given me? What Jesus means, what he's saying is this. He's saying, Peter, 
if I could call down 10,000 angels right now and wipe out all of these Roman guards, that would be me stopping God's plan. God the Father is giving me this cup of sin, of pain, and death. And even though I could turn this entire situation on its head and I could walk out of this campsite, if it is God's plan, it is so much bigger than you are, Peter. See, there's something that Jesus knew that Peter didn't know. This is point number three in your notes this morning, and I want you to write this down. For those of you at home, I want you to put this on a post-it note, and I want you to put it around your house. It is so short, but this is so deep, I want you to see this. Point number three in your notes is this. Jesus had to. Jesus had to. He had to be arrested. Jesus had to go to the cross. There is no way that you and I have the opportunity to spend eternity in the presence if Jesus doesn't. He had to in order to save your life. When the soldiers came to the campsite on the Mount of Olives to physically arrest Jesus, spiritually, they were coming for you. Spiritually, they were coming for me. They were coming for your mom and dad. They were coming for your brother and sister. They were coming for your son and daughter. Spiritually, when Jesus said, who is it that you are here for? And the soldiers would have said, we're here for Pastor Chris. And Jesus would have said, I am he. I'm the one you want. Take me and leave my family. Peter decided that he was going to try and be a hero and, and he grabs a knife or a dagger and he's going to try and take on 600 men by himself. It becomes very evident that Peter is really good at fishing but he's not very good at hunting because <laughs> being within an arm's length of a guy, the best he could do is lop off a guy's ear. And I'm sure that had to hurt. But the response of Jesus was almost as if Peter was now in trouble, not the guards. Look what Jesus did in Luke chapter 22. Now remember, Luke is a doctor, so this makes a lot of sense coming from a doctor. Luke says this, when those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. 51, verse 51. But Jesus responded and said, Stop! No more of this! And he touched his ear and healed him. Can you imagine how Judas would have felt? Can you imagine what the high priests there would have felt? Can you imagine what Peter would have felt? 
If anyone gets their ear chopped off, chances are, as a human being, you are going to let out a very loud noise. Probably going to scream in pain. Everyone around knows what just happened. And Jesus reaches down onto the ground and he picks up this ear and he reaches up and miraculously heals this man's ear right in front of everyone. And the screaming stops. And even though Jesus just proved right there who he was and everyone is watching, this all still has to happen. John 18 verse 12 says this, Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. Here's a final point in your notes this morning. The passion that Jesus has for you is what led him to the cross. Around this time of year, many people will watch Mel Gibson's movie called The Passion of the Christ. It details the exact moments in this very, very detailed and horrific event that was the last couple of days of Jesus' life. But as close as that movie gets to being very realistic, I want to focus on one word, and that is the word passion. The reason that Jesus went to the cross willingly was because of passion. In this case, it's because of love. You know what Jesus is passionate about? You. He did all of this because of his deep passion and love for you. Webster defines passion as emotions distinguished from reason. There are times when our passions take over and reason is absolutely irrelevant. Reason does not make it into our thought process. It's all emotion, right? When Jesus went to the cross, Jesus was acting passionately. If we were to ask, was he acting reasonably or passionately? Reasonably, men don't voluntarily go to their death. That is passion. Not only was he acting passionately, he was also acting compassionately. Webster defines com compassion as a deep awareness of the suffering of another coupled with the wish to relieve it. That's what Jesus showed us on the cross. He showed us compassion. He was so deeply aware of the pain and the suffering that would come to us by living eternity separated from him, living eternity in hell in a burning lake of fire, and he had a wish to relieve our suffering. Jesus is compassionate. His compassion, coupled with his passion, his love for us, 
That's what led him to the cross. This morning I pray that you know what Jesus did and you know why he did it. And you know that he did it for you. We know, and I pray that we know, that Jesus said, take me, but leave my family. And you and I are all that family. He told us that the only way to the Father is through him. What if? What if Jesus actually died on the cross the very next day on Friday? to give us a gift? What if Jesus said, I'm the one you want, take me, leave my family. And he gives us that gift, but we don't accept it. It's sad if we don't accept that gift. But if that's the case, why did Jesus die? His death would actually be in vain and for no reason if we don't accept this gift. He died so that you could live. This morning, if you don't know the life that comes from knowing Jesus, you don't have to wait another minute to replace your name with his. He actually wants to take your spot. He tells death, I'm the one you want. Leave my family alone. Leave my children alone. Take me. Here's the thing. He has actually already done this. We can't stand up and say, no, 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 Jesus, it's all right, I've got this. Because it's already, the price has already been paid. It's just our job to accept that gift. The soldiers aren't going to come to take you. Because the price has already been paid. This morning... If you don't know Jesus, if you have not accepted that gift, I'm going to give you an opportunity here in a moment to pray and to accept that gift of eternal life. Jesus says, I am. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. You know what that means? That means the way that you've told yourself that you're going to get to heaven by being a good person. It's not going to happen. There is one way. It's a very exclusive claim. The only way to God the Father is through God the Son.